Hello, and welcome to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. So I wanted to welcome all again to uh, Mornings with Joel, the CRE podcast. These are exciting times in the commercial real estate space. They're challenging times for many. But one thing that we try to accomplish with this podcast is introducing you to individuals that may not be on the cover of Forbes and Fortune magazine, but have uh, a depth of experience in commercial real estate and are doing some great things. So we're using this forum as a platform to introduce you to many different players that are in the industry and have those serve as inspiration for yourselves as you continue to grow your real estate platform as well. So this morning, we wanted to uh, introduce a, a good buddy of mine, Alonzo Ford. Good morning, Alonzo. How are you doing today? Hey, good morning, Joel. It's definitely an honor to be here. And I, I look forward to talking with you and catching up and, and talk, sharing my experience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's what it's all about. For y'all who don't know, uh, Alonzo and I, we kind of crossed paths running in the same circles. And uh, one thing that we mentioned one day, we were sitting outside having a, a little light lunch and we were talking about game recognized game. So, you know, this boy's got some game and I was like, hey, you know what? We need to team up and do some stuff together. So it's been an um, exciting arrangement and uh, we're going to continue to, uh, to grow that platform as we help more and more individuals uh, get going in the commercial real estate space and grow their portfolios as well. So Alonzo, for those of us who, who don't know, tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you got involved in this space. I know you were in the military at one point. That's kind of a big jump from real estate investor. So uh, how did that all come together? So, so when you say background, you know, there's, there's the, the full background, like where I grew up and then there's the, the real estate background. So uh, I'm, I'm assuming we're going to jump in at the real estate piece. However you want to do it, buddy. You're the guest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I'll just, I'll start by saying, I don't know how or why, you know, real estate has always been, you know, very near and dear to my heart, but it has been, I mean, since I can remember, in fact, I remember being five years old and, you know, my parents moved into a, a new neighborhood and, and there were houses going up everywhere. And I would ride my bike over to the, you know, the construction crews and, and just walk up on the site and be like, Hey, what are you doing? You know, what are you building? How long does it take? How much does it cost? You know, how, how do, how do I get to do something like this? And so I just had a, a, a curiosity and they would entertain my questions, you know, my, the, at least the first five. And then they'd be like, kid, get out of here. You're not supposed to <laughs> be on this site. And then I remember being in the backseat of my parents' car, driving down the street and, and seeing, you know, huge office towers with CNS Bank or, you know, Coca-Cola at the top. And uh, I'd be like, wow, you know, how do you get to be that? You know, how do you own all of that? Mm -hmm. And so from a young age, I've always had curiosity. And then, you know, I, I just kind of grew up, I went to, I, you know, grew up between Columbia, South Carolina and Atlanta, Georgia, but ended up graduating high school or finishing high school and graduating out of Benjamin Mays High School in Atlanta and uh, going to the United States Military Academy at West Point. And the reason I went to West Point is because uh, I was just really gung ho for the military and uh, my father was enlisted. My stepfather was enlisted. My grandfather was drafted during World War II. One of my good mentors and my pastor was a retired Vietnam Sergeant Major. So 
all the major influences in my life. And then I got to see, you know, General Colin Powell on TV overseeing the, you know, the Desert Storm. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. You know, I'd I'd love to do something like that. So I I went to West Point and I had a, a great team supporting me. Got there for the toughest years of my life, but uh, most rewarding. And so when I when I graduated, I, you know, I wanted to at least be a homeowner. So I bought my first home at 22 years old as a second lieutenant in the Army. And then I had a roommate to help pay for everything and just kind of going from there. I, I remember being in the barbershop one day. You know, maybe this is something we should think about, Joel, is, is reaching out to the barbershops mm-hmm. and giving them books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, just to have on the coffee table for what, because I I literally was at the barbershop and there was a Black Enterprise magazine on the uh, like coffee table I was waiting. So I'm flipping through Black Enterprise and I'm just like dreaming. I'm like, oh, wow, this is awesome. How can I do this? You know, this, and I think, you know, at that time it was like Don Peoples, Bob Johnson, you know, Magic Johnson, mm-hmm. all kind of running the show as far as black enterprise goes. And, and there just weren't a lot of, you know, other people that I knew that were black and that were wealthy or you just doing it on a major level. You know, I said, Hey, I, I want to learn more about this. And there was a little ad in the back for a book by Robert Kiyosaki called rich dad, poor dad. And I, I went and got it and I read it through cover to cover in, in a weekend. And uh, at that point, I caught the bug and I just became a, a lifetime real estate student. And I started, you know, buying properties, you know, investing in properties, renovating properties, leasing properties. And, and I've, I've definitely got the battle scars from, from all of that. After doing it on a, on a personal basis for a while, I learned enough to know that I, I wanted to do it on a commercial basis. And so when I got out of the army in 2005, after being a, a tank platoon in Kuwait, you know, a scout platoon leader in, uh, in Texas, uh, a company commander, all great jobs, some of the best jobs that, you know, a young man could ask for, but it was, it was very taxing. And so long story short, when I left the army, a quick story, I got a call from a buddy that I went to high school with at Benjamin Mays and then served with in 3rd Infantry Division in the Army. And we went to Iraq in 2003 and, you know, in the initial attack on on, uh, Iraq and and Baghdad to remove Saddam Hussein. But once I got back and I was commanding a basic training company, he called me and he said, hey, man, I left the Army about a year ago and uh, I got a good job with GE. And they're doing this, you know, former military officer to corporate you know, manager or corporate leader program. And I think you'd be a good fit. And and so I said, thanks. You know, I really appreciate the call. And I am thinking about getting out, but I'm not interested in selling light bulbs or refrigerators. So you had no idea of what GE was all about, huh? Exactly. You know, he's like, oh, no, no, no. We do a lot more than that. There's at least like seven divisions, you know, which includes capital and energy and aviation and and oil and gas and all of this. And I was like, hmm, okay. So I, I flew up to Schenectady, New York, which was the headquarters of the energy division at the time um, that I was going to. And um, met with the, you know, I met with a, a group of people that were already in the program. And then 
I met with the and had lunch with the lady who was over the HR lady who was over the entire program. We had lunch and we just connected so well that she gave me an offer on the spot over lunch. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. Uh, can I think about it and get back to you tomorrow? Because I needed to fly home and yeah. you know talk to my <clears throat> wife and all of that. But I ended up taking that job. And, you know, truth be told, my first job in GE was in the energy division uh, as a project manager, but it was in a rotational program so that we could learn different things about corporate America and figure out what we liked. But I found out that GE had a commercial real estate division, but it wasn't the division that hired me. But I had built enough rapport and, and you know, had a strong enough performance to I convinced the the HR, uh, her name is, um, is is Susan Crack. She she changed my life. I can had a good enough relationship with her to convince her to give me a chance, like eight months, while she paid my salary, while I would go over to GE Real Estate and prove myself because I was trying to get a um, a job in in real estate, and the the president of the equity division was actually in Alpharetta, you know, which is a northern suburb of Atlanta. And he, I, I couldn't get a, a meeting with him. I couldn't get a call. I couldn't get a lunch. I couldn't get, I could get nothing uh, until I built a relationship with his administrative assistant named Patricia. And Patricia really like started to connect with me and like me. And she's like, I tell you what, just come here on Wednesday you know, at 1130. And when he's done with his lunch, I mean, he's done done with this meeting, you'll be standing there and you can take him to lunch. And then the rest is on you. I said, that's all I need, Patricia, is a shot. Just give me my shot, my opportunity. And we went to lunch. And since I arranged it to where, you know, I, and then his, his division got restructured and he went from having maybe 80 people report to him to having like five, but he still had an immense amount of responsibility. And so he was overworked and, and, and this was in like the 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008 period of commercial real estate. And you know, everything was just blowing and going. Like everybody felt like they had the modest touch because whatever you turn to as uh, mm-hmm. to work on as part of a deal, it just turned to gold because the market was just going up right. and up no matter what. And so long story short, he needed, the help. And uh, I was able to structure a deal to where I could work for him for free to him, paid for by energy and convince him to take a chance on me. And he did. And they hired me. And it's been it's been an amazing ride. Wow. So so tell me this. How did how did that work out? So you wound up having lunch with this uh, individual at GE Capital. It was an opportunity because he needed some assistance and being able to uh, manage all that was coming at him. There was a lot of volume in the, in the market at that point in time. I remember it well. And uh, how did you fit in there and how did that um, lead to uh, where you are today? So you were talking about some of the lessons and, and that was, mm-hmm. you know, just really working hard and, and, and earning trust. And then, and then more importantly, building relationships and relationships are everything, especially in our industry, in this business, that can't be overstated. And so I built a relationship with, his name was Frank Morrow. He's the chief investment officer of um, joint venture equity over at commercial real estate. And essentially I had eight months to prove myself. And so 
I didn't know anything about commercial real estate at the time. I just knew that I had done some single family home renovations. I'd done purchased some duplexes, quadruplexes, small apartments and, and things like that. But commercial real estate was institutional. And, and so there was a lot that I had to learn about underwriting, originations, asset management, uh, forecasting, you know, capital structures and all of that. And I, did, I hadn't gone to business school yet. And so all of my peers in the group had their MBAs from Wharton, Harvard, Stanford, uh, Dartmouth, you name it, like mm-hmm. the top institutions in the country. Even some were NCIAD or, or Oxford. So some of the top institutions across the world. So this was practically a Wall Street firm. Now, I mean, I, I was no scrub. I had a, a bachelor's from West Point and, and you know, uh, combat experience, but I just didn't have this technical training or the MBA yet. And right. so I said, well, what can I do? I have one other kind of minor barrier that I created for myself because growing up in Atlanta as a, as a young African-American, we were all on the south side of, I, of Atlanta. It's below I-20. Mm-hmm. And my job was in Alpharetta. So all I knew, I lived in Rex at the time, um, which is, you know, yeah. about South Atlanta. South of south, about as south as you can get and still be in the metro Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's expanded now to McDonough and, and whatnot. But right. And I would drive up to Alpharetta every day. So that was about an hour's drive. And then if you were in rush hour, it was two hours. Right. So I well, used to. How did you feel being that that uh, individual that really was in a new environment that you weren't used to? Oh, it it was it was very uncomfortable. It was very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you what I did is I would get up, you know, because I was military. So I'd get up at four or four thirty in the morning mm-hmm. and and, you know, put on my workout clothes and and drive to Alpharetta and I could get there in 45 minutes and because there was no traffic. So I'd get to work by five fifteen, five thirty in the morning. And I read every equity request, every deal request, every former project that I could get my hands on. And I studied it uh, inside and out. I looked at the capital structure, how they wrote it up, the risk and mitigants and all of that. And over time, I just built, you know, a knowledge and on how to structure these deals, how to do these deals. But also the fact that I got there at 530 in the morning Gate. People didn't really start rolling in until 930. So by the time everybody was rolling in, I had worked for four hours and then I, you know, go downstairs, you know, work out, shower and then be back at my desk by 10 a.m. in time for our 10 a.m. morning meeting. Mm-hmm. And everybody had just, you know, gotten their coffee and were starting. But I had already underwritten two deals. And so by going through that process he developed a lot of trust and credibility in me. In fact, you know, there was one deal that was featured in the Wall Street Journal that we got, you know, with less than, you know, 35 days to close. And that's unheard of because we still had to do phase ones and phase twos and engineering and, you know, all of that. Mm -hmm. But we got it on a Friday afternoon at 3 p.m. I won't forget it. And I worked all night Friday, all day Saturday, half a Saturday night, submitted it to him. We had a review Sunday morning 
worked Sunday. And then, you know, we had credit committee on Monday and we got it approved. You know, we got, you know, the whole team out there on site on Tuesday and, you know, we closed that deal in 31 days and it was featured in the Wall Street Journal. So through that process, you know, I, he, he, he developed some trust in me and my work ethic. And I think that's what set me apart. And then he ended up now. I don't, I don't say that everybody needs to work like that. There's a, there's a season and there's a period in your life where you need to press the gas like that, but nobody can work like that all the time forever, you know? Yeah. yeah. But that was my season. Gotcha. So you took advantage of that, that opportunity that you had. That's another learning lesson for, for all of us, uh, get up early and put the work in and uh, you put the work in. So as a result of you putting that work in, what, what other opportunities did that lead to at GE Capital and uh, ultimately your departure? Let's talk about that briefly as we, because most of the folks that have signed in today, they want to know about how you've uh, got into asset assisted living and built that portfolio. So I want to make sure we leave some time on the clock for that. So uh, how were you able to, um, what other deals were you able to work on at GE Capital? What other opportunities were opened up to you? And how did that uh, foster opportunities that you have in front of you today? Great question, Joe. So from 2006 until 2008, mm-hmm. we were blowing and going. And I, I think we put, you know, at least, you know, I worked on over a billion dollars of deals, but we probably put out a couple hundred million in equity alone just in that period. So just working that hard, I ended up working in underwriting and then I worked in originations. And then, you know, late 2008, you know, the break, the the wheels start coming off the bus for commercial real estate. Mm-hmm. We probably all have experienced it or have memories of what that was like. And they let go of two thirds of, of our team. And, and so I was, I was blessed to be retained maybe because I was like one of the cheapest and I worked like around the clock, but then I went into asset management to asset manage a lot of the things that our team put on the books. And I worked in there for a while. And after that, GE had something called corporate leadership staff, which was identifying, you know, young leaders in the company that they felt could be on a, that could be groomed to be executive leaders, you know, in the future. And so they picked about 60 of us around the world and, and pulled us up to uh, Crotonville, New York, which was the training headquarters. Mm-hmm. And we had l- dinners with the, the chairman and CEO at the time, at the time, Jeff Emmel, as well as all the other, you know, C-suite officers. And so, Fortunately or unfortunately, however you looked at it, I got plucked up out of real estate. So they're like, hey, Alonzo, you, you're valuable to GE. We don't want you to just know real estate. And so I got promoted into another division of GE Capital on uh, commercial finance. And, and so I worked on that and I became a marketing manager and marketing leader. And then from there, I went, my, my shortfalls to me uh, even though I gotten an MBA during the crisis over at Emory at Goldsworth Business School, I still didn't have the strength in, in finance. So they said, "All right, you need to go work in finance." So I worked. I, I moved to Norwalk, Connecticut, and worked for the CFO of North America Real Estate, and became a financial planning and analysis 
uh, senior equity analyst. So I was responsible for the entire equity book for North America real estate, basically analyzing the book and making sure that we, you know, timed the sales and the gains and we were tracking all the, the, the values and the assumptions so that we could have credibility, you know, on, on, on our investor relations calls. But from there, I, I did that, you know, got my stripes in finance and then got promoted to national sales leader um, back in commercial finance. So then I, I, I came back to Atlanta to run a national sales team, which was awesome. It was a phenomenal job, dream job. It was it was not easy. I was fully 10 years younger than all the other peers in the in the you know senior leadership meetings. Uh, I was the only African-American, if not like just one of two. And so it was a lot that I had to learn, you know, about the political landscape of leading in corporate America. And then so after that, in 2015, the the writing was on the wall that GE Capital was going to have to break up because of all of the regulation and and all the credit crunch and, and looking at how companies did a lot of their risk management. So GE Capital decided to break up and I actually got notice of a layoff. And so uh, I had enough mentors and and sponsors in the group to where they say, hey, Alonzo, we can move you here and you can run this. But I saw that not not as a detriment or an indictment on my performance or who I was, but as an opportunity. Because I, I believe, you know, when things pivot, that's that's an opportunity to 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 pivot with it and be greater. And so I said, no, no, thank you. Please give me my package and I'm going to go do this, you know, and hang my own shingle and, and see what I can do in the market. So, so let me let me do this right yeah. quick, because I, I certainly appreciate all that information. So that takes us through the through the GE years. Obviously, those proved to be very formative years. And you met a lot of people, created a lot of opportunities for yourself and Uh, That's really outstanding. I mean, those are parts of your background that I wasn't aware of. So I'm really excited that you were able to share that with us. And I thank you for that. I just want to encourage any of you, if you have any questions at this time, if you want to start putting those in the chat box as we uh, transition into some of the things that Alonzo has done post uh, GE Capital, that'll be great. And uh, we'll be sure to entertain those questions uh, as time permits. So, uh, So Alonzo, you decided to take your package. You're leaving GE Capital now. And uh, you're standing out there on the street like somebody paroled from jail. What are you going to do now? <laughs> it, it, it honestly was a, um, it was an interesting experience because I was, I was newly married, but, you know, on my second marriage. So I had, you know, my two kids and, and a new wife. And for the first time in my life, I had to figure it out and I had to, mm-hmm. you know, eat what I killed. And it was, it's kind of nerve wracking to have to eat what you kill, especially when you're used to that, you know, regular deposit coming in every two weeks, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or twice a month for like your entire adult life. Right. And so I teamed up with a, a, a friend from business school and actually he, he kind of recruited me to be to help run his private equity company. And so basically I was the managing director in a private equity company that had just recently merged or partnered, joint ventured with a hedge fund 
Uh, so my job was to go out and find companies that then, you know, we could invest in and, and grow and then exit. And so I found a bunch of companies and then the hedge fund said, hey, Alonzo, in addition to that, you, you know, we want you to raise capital for the hedge fund. So I raised capital for the hedge fund, you know, as well. I got my series 65. I was raising capital and finding deals, but that didn't work out. It just, yeah, I started to bump into too many things that didn't sit well with me and my spirit. Mm-hmm. And so like it, private equity can be cutthroat. Hedge funds can be cutthroat if, if you're not like careful. And so I decided, okay, I, you know, I'm going to go back to my first love, which is commercial real estate. And so that's when I formed, you know, AMG, which um, we rebranded as EQ, CRE Capital. And uh, we were able to out the box. I mean, there were a lot of deals. You kiss a lot of frogs in this business, Mm -hmm. but all it takes is just enough to close to sustain your family for that year. And it keeps you going. So I was able to close um, a few projects, uh, some in New York, some in Denver, some in Atlanta that um, were very encouraging and worked with some really cool people along the way. So the the way that kind of morphed into assisted living is we have to back up to 2005. And in 2005, my, my mother, my father, and I were at the kitchen table. And my mother had just left her corporate job because the doctor told her she couldn't work those kind of hours anymore um, due to her health. But she said she had a passion for caring for people. And so she wanted to start this business. Now, mind you, my, I grew up where my grandmother was a, a nurse in South Carolina, and she had a, uh, a nursing home towards her later years. And so we volunteered there. And so it was already in my mom's spirit, but we ended up starting it in 2005 from scratch. It ended up growing. And so my mom was the heart and soul of the business. My father, who was still working part-time, you know, he retired from the military and was working in Atlanta public schools as a JROTC instructor. And then I was working at GE at the time. So she handled all the care and the policies and, and, and taking care of people. He handled all the, the fleet and the maintenance. And I handled all the strategy, the tax, the real estate, the finance, the capital structure and, and things like that. So it worked well and it's grown to be a multi-million dollar business now, but in 2016, she got sick again. No, no, I think it was 2017. She got sick again. And so I said, okay, if just so my mother doesn't wipe herself out trying to maintain this business, I'm going to go in and, and really, you know, spend my energy and efforts full time so she can relax and retire. And so we've doubled it since I came back then. Mm-hmm. And then my goal now is to 10 exit over the next seven years through a series of uh, mergers and acquisitions. Okay. All right. Well, sounds good. Sounds good. And we'll get into a little bit more detail on that. Uh, we got a couple of questions that have come in. Uh, Brandon, do you mind going ahead and, and answering, asking your question for Alonzo? 
Yes, sir. Um, hey, Mr. Alonzo, uh, my question is real quick. Um, I just really want to know with your branch, what is your typical debt coverage ratio that you look for in a commercial real estate project? So, so I'll give you a short answer and then a little bit more background. So typically, you're going to need a 1.3 debt service coverage on, on any project. And then especially, it's hard to get money for first-time developer or first-time person doing a project. Uh, and you're going to have to jump through a lot of hoops. But a lot of times, working with a partner that that has the experience is the best way to get initial experience. And then I'm going to kind of go back and say, as far as my my time and energy now, I you know I I really have. I used to call it Propco, Opco, and Finco, where I had a property holding company, had an operating company, which was Lowe's Guardian Angel with my family, and Finco, which was the the debt and equity capital raising. And and since actually effective uh, one April, I became the chairman and CEO of Lowe's Guardian Angel, and so I'm spending a lot of my time. Uh, focused on that. But then I also have my my EQ is actually holding most of the real estate property underneath that, as well as additional commercial and residential properties. And then I've actually scaled back on the fundraising, but it's fortunate that I've got great people like Joel that I can talk to when inbound deals come in and we could just talk through it. And then if he, if he likes it and we can work it together, then we will. But if not, I, I just had to pull back so I could focus on growing Lowe's Guardian Angel. All right. So, Brandon, does that uh, that answer your question? Yes, sir, it does. Okay. All right. And one thing I just wanted to add to that, as Alonzo mentioned, uh, 1.3 is, is a good sweet spot to be at. Uh, you certainly want to be as high as possible. What happens is as you start getting closer to a 1.0, the access to capital dries up very quickly. So um, as long as you're at a, a 1.3 or above when it comes down to debt service, uh, you're generally pretty good on any deal that you want to get done. Alonzo, would you agree to that or think it needs yeah, to be? You, yeah, you nailed it, man. Um, okay. You know, I, I think banks, they have a lot of different formulas that they look at, but that debt service coverage, every last one of them are going to want to see that and they're going to want to see it strong. And then also you've got, your super national, you got your national banks, your your B of A's and Truists and and all of that, and then you've got your regional banks, which it, everybody here should have at least two relationships with somebody deep in a regional bank, and then you've got your alternative capital that's typically not an FDIC insured institution, but right. and they have typically have more flexibility to do. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> that, that's a good point. Um, you know, not to get off on another subject, but I know even for myself, people would ask, well, you know, why don't you bank at some of the mega banks? And it's like, for me, it's all about the relationships. You know, is if you could walk in there and it's like cheers and everybody knows your name, that's where you want to bank, you know, so you have that relationship to be able, because it's not about you just handing them over your money. You want to get something out of that relationship as well. And so to be able to have that symbiotic relationship where you're putting money in, but they're willing to give it back to you to, to do the investments you want to do is uh, highly valuable. So I completely agree with that. You know, it's all about the relationship. All right, let's move on to uh, one other question. And Jerry, happy to have you with us today. What question did you have? You mind sharing that with us? 
Well, yeah, I have my question, but after Brandon's question and your question, I'm like, well, I want some more information about that. <laughs> Gosh, I, I, so my question, you know, that I actually kind of started with was, um, so you talked a bit about um, your uh, relationships with your mentors and sponsors that you had at GE. Can you say some more about, you know, how many people there there were? How did you secure those relationships? How did you develop those relationships? Because you said they were pivotal in actually having you kind of move through a lot of the change in the company. Oh, I, so Jerry, that's that's awesome to focus on relationships. Really, I, I believe life is really a, a, a summation of our of of our relationships, our experiences, and the impact that we can have on the world. So the first one being relationships. I mean, we could have all the money in the world and all the success, but if you don't have a good relationship with a significant other, or your kids, or your parents, or your siblings, or close friends, I mean, most people that don't have those good relationships are, are miserable. So that extends beyond just like the personal relationships my my goal I, I you know i'm a i'm a personable guy but I, I saw it in corporate america i am collecting mentors like a good spades player collects books and so <laughs> I, I i'm i'm out there you know every networking event every meeting should be an opportunity to improve a relationship and and not always up but sometimes lateral are, are what helps you as well. And then we all always got to be looking back and seeing who we can, we can help and, and bring along. But as far as mentors and sponsors, it's, it's so important because there is like unwritten, there are unwritten rules in corporate America. Nobody gets promoted to, you know, the, the C-suite or really even, kind of the the level below that the the vp level without having relationships i mean your performance is what gets you a paycheck every you know whenever you get paid but what gets you those those big opportunities are going to be relationships it's, it's kind of like i think I, I read something that said 90 percent of jobs you know big jobs at a certain level get filled based on relationships not what somebody posted in monster.com or LinkedIn or whatever. Yeah. Well, appreciate you sharing that. And, and Jerry, did that pretty much cover it or did you want to go a little bit deeper in your, your question there? Well, I know his time is limited, so I'm going to ask for, I'm going to ask for a, a offline conversation if you don't mind. Oh, I don't mind. I'd be honored. So I can, I can drop my email in the chat. Awesome. Yeah, that'll be fine. And and I've got obviously access to everyone here. I know uh, Deneen does. So um, we'll make sure that we put you two together. Um, and Jerry, I've done that for you multiple times, so you know I'll come through on that. And uh, there's his email address there. So that's fantastic. One thing I wanted to mention also, Alonzo, uh, that you brought up was, um, you know, lateral relationships as well. And I, I kind of think about that even with ourselves. You know, we're collaborating on a, a number of projects right now. You know, it, it was kind of a lateral move. You know, we both have experience. We both kind of run in the same circles. Uh, but we saw the value in being able to bring your network together with my network and, uh, you know, accomplish some big things. So, uh, you know, I, I want to thank you for the projects that you brought me in. And, and obviously we're working on some stuff that we're 
we're bringing you in. So um, there's a lot of opportunity there, even from a lateral standpoint, it doesn't always have to be, um, you know, vertical as it relates to mentors and, and relationships. So yeah, appreciate yeah. you sharing that. Yeah. So, um, all right. So you got his email address there in the chat box and Alonzo, just uh, to go a little bit further on the assisted living part, ultimately, what would you say is, is your goal and, uh, how did you get started? You you purchased one property, obviously, and, and then just kind of built that up? Or, you know, what what is your your end goal uh, as it relates to where you want to be with uh, the assisted living portfolio? Because I, I know other people in that space that are doing extremely well with big, you know, nine-figure portfolios. So I know it can be done. And I don't know if that's your aspiration, but, you know, what's your thoughts as to where you want to be when you grow up in the assisted living space, to use that terminology? It, no, I want to be exactly where you're talking about because uh, <laughs> life life is one huge opportunity. We can't focus on the barriers. The barriers are just you, that's just table stakes. That's what's there. But the people who can figure out how to rise above and go beyond the barriers mm-hmm. are the ones who are in rare air. And so, as far as assisted living goes, you know, I read a book by Dr. Bill Picard called Millionaire Moves. And mm-hmm. he, he says that he's, he's also my, uh, my fraternity brother, but he's, he's, pro- he's probably worth half a billion. And he says that in his book that 90% of the wealthy wealth in America is created either from entrepreneurship or real estate. And I think that that's that's true. And if you can combine the two, then you can you can accelerate that because real estate is is more of a, a value play and and kind of I mean obviously I I won't even go down that path right now because we don't have the time. But entrepreneurship is is a, a tremendous way to create value. And starting a business, a startup is one of the hardest ways to do it. But once you have a business, which I started from scratch with my parents and, you know, bought one house and uh, two properties and then three properties and then four properties and five and just keep going. Uh, And then it's the operations that are on the property, which actually pay for the property. So it's appreciating, but also getting paid down. Mm -hmm. And we're getting cash flow from the business to reinvest in the business to go acquire other properties or other businesses. And most real estate projects, if you can get a a 10 cap rate, you know, it's a phenomenal project or it's a dog of Mm -hmm. uh, of operational challenge. However, in businesses, they don't look at it like a cap rate, but you can oftentimes get like a 30 cap rate on businesses, but you got to be able to will, you got to be willing to put in the work for the operation. And, you know, the, the, the reason I say you can a 30 cap rate. So a small example, let's say a business is worth, well, I don't want to, I don't want to get into, into too much, but I'll just, I'll just say this. Let's say the business is, is revenue has a revenue of $1 million and they're operating at a, a 30% EBITDA. You know, they're making 300K cash flow annually. And then you can, you can acquire that for three times EBITDA. So now the, you're paying 900 for the business. But then you are, if you get a loan, like an SBA loan or 
a LISC loan or something like that, you got this 900K business, they'll give you 90%. So you bring 90K of your cash to the table. But then remember, it had a 300K EBITDA. So you're, you're cash flowing more than three times what you paid for the business. So that's like a 300% return. And you just don't get that in real estate. So there's real estate is more wealth preservation and, and appreciation but wealth creation can be accelerated in in business mergers and acquisitions. Okay. All right. I don't know how we got off on that, but <laughs> very good example <laughs> for us to use. And uh, you're right. You know, the only thing about a business, though, is your faith and trust is really in the management team unless you, you replace them um, as opposed to uh, real estate where you have a physical asset. But a combination of both could be a beautiful thing. So, yeah. oh, and, and typically you're going to put something like that. You're going to be the CEO of the business at least yeah. for a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you'll be able to make those adjustments as need be. So, so I really appreciate that. You know, this was a great conversation. Uh, we, we got a chance to go into a, a lot of your background and, you know, some of the lessons that you brought out is uh, basically just don't be afraid of the hustle. I mean, you got to get out there, especially in your younger years, get out there, hustle, make those relationships, be willing to put the work in, you know, and, and in some cases uh, be able to work for free. I mean, I'm sure you weren't getting paid to come in at five o'clock in the morning and work, but you were willing to do that in order to produce the end result that you wanted to produce and uh, look at the dividends that it paid. So a uh, very good example of uh, putting in the work to accomplish the goals you were looking to accomplish. So we certainly appreciate that. Uh, do you have any final comments that, um, you would like to uh, share with us today uh, as we continue to wrap up, because I know you got to get out of here. Yeah, I, I would just say keep doing what you're doing. I mean, it's all about, you know, learning. You can never stop learning and you can never learn too much. Mm-hmm. But then in on top of that, once you learn, you got to do something with it. So you learn something, do it, learn it, do it, learn from it and then do it because the, the best success doesn't go to the person that's this genius It's from the person that persisted and tried something and probably failed and learned a lot of valuable lessons and then tried it again with those new lessons and then learned some more lessons and then tried it again with those lessons. So it's the iterative process. So I just say learn, do and build great relationships. And then finally enjoy celebrate success with, with people around you because it's all for nothing if if you don't enjoy it and the people around you can't, you know, appreciate, you know, you're doing it. So yeah. um, that's my that's my advice. All right. Well, very good points. I certainly appreciate that. And, you know, that's one thing that we're trying to do here with this podcast is show that there are uh, because part of it is having faith. You know, when you walked out of GE Capital, you had to have some faith that you could actually make this thing happen. You know, I, I was just, uh, Kwame had just shared with me the article about the uh, young lady in New York who is now participating in, in the uh, Five World Trade Center and the development there. I mean, that's a huge opportunity. And uh, if you generally don't see other minorities doing it, you might think it's impossible. So uh, being able to get out here and share these stories, I think is is very, very powerful. And uh, Alonzo, it shows that um, your experience is that nobody is giving you anything. You were willing to put the work in to achieve what you achieved. And so uh, we certainly want to thank you for being our guest today uh, with Mornings with Joel, our CRE podcast. So we thank you so much for that. 
Ken, you just came on, you, on, on camera. So was there anything you wanted to add as we wrap up? Uh, no, I, I wanted to thank Alonzo also. I thought that was a, a great a great conversation this morning. Um, I did want to echo uh, or actually restate something that he said earlier, which is something um, I get asked by mentees a lot. And um, when he said that he got in early and he read everything that he could, um, that's, that's advice that I give people all the time. And when you're working in a larger organization, you have the opportunity because they have resources and they have deal flow and they have um, they're seeing things that you wouldn't normally see. You have the opportunity to not only well, what I what I like to say is you're responsible for everything on your desk and you know that, but you have the opportunity to learn from all the desks that are around you and all of the deals that are going on and all of the portfolio that they've already done and the deals they turn down and why they turn them down and taking advantage of of getting knowledge about all of those transactions, that gives you the background that you can't otherwise get. And some people are frustrated in a large shop, but what I, I try to say is there's opportunity there if you take it. And I think Alonzo showed the way of like, hey, the, when you're a GE, they sign up for every trade or organization, every trade rack. So you get to read, you know, real estate alert and all these things that cost thousands of dollars. You you get to read them and then you'll get to read the deal memos. And then, you know, that's, there's an education there you can't get otherwise. So I, I wholeheartedly endorse all of that. And then the second thing is you mentioned the, uh, the um, five World Trade Center deal in New York with uh, Daybar. And Dewana is a... Um, She's actually a member of the Real Estate Executive Council. And that that site, that transaction was one that I actually worked on when I was at the Port Authority because it's part of the World Trade Center site and the Port, Port Authority was in control of that. And so Dewana had, she, you know, she is like to your point, had established great relationships with a number of the large developers in New York City. And they reached out to her and pulled her onto the team because we had a requirement that they needed to have some people of color on their team. Mm -hmm. um, but she has an outstanding track record and they love working with her. Um, so it's a great team. It's a great opportunity. But to your point, if she hadn't done the base work of building those relationships, of course, and also having had a great, excellent track record, but also fostering those relationships, um, that would have been an opportunity she would have not not been in line for. Yeah. Yeah, no, very, very good point. So I, I appreciate you bringing that out, Ken. And uh, that's one reason why I didn't want to leave without letting you say a few words there, because those pearls of wisdom are valuable. So, <laughs> so we certainly appreciate it. Maybe we can coordinate getting her on in a couple of weeks. If, if Ken, you could help me out with that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let me let me know, and then you know we can we can get Reese members for you. Okay, all right. Yeah, we're we're open about three weeks out, so uh, we we can talk about that offline. But if you can help out with that, I greatly appreciate it. But um, I want to thank everyone today. You know, we try to keep this down to an hour, so we're coming up on that right now. And uh, we certainly appreciate you you joining uh, this morning. Uh, mornings with Joel, our CRE podcast. We certainly appreciate it, and uh, we look to have you back next week. Actually, we have a. A very exciting guest next week. This is a client of mine. Her name is Tyra Talley. And uh, she went from school teacher to owning a, a commercial portfolio of offices and multifamily properties and is left working as a school teacher. She's in her early 30s and she's killing it down here in Atlanta. And I'm very, very excited for her. I'm very proud of her. And uh, you will really enjoy her conversation. She doesn't like the cameras and the hoopla. And she says, I'm not polished. I'm not ready for all that. But 
she'll be great. So we look forward to having everybody back next week as we uh, bring her along as well as, as part of the, uh, the family. So thank you all. And uh, we look forward to seeing you then. All right. Take care, everyone. You've been listening to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. Please check back weekly to hear our upcoming guests.